God, thank you that in Australia uh, we can so freely read your word. And we pray now as I read the two Bible readings um, for Wallace, he comes to uh, speak to us. May your spirit speak to us through his words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, the first reading today is from Job. It's chapter 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuzi comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli, Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where then does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. The second reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. 
But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Matt. And uh, again, let me just say, it really is lovely uh, for us to be together uh, this morning. And um, it's lovely for us as a church family to support Tyson and Huri as uh, they seek to, to raise Ethan in the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, it's lovely as well to be preaching uh, Job chapter 28 with you. Um, if this is your first time with us in this series, uh, this may well be the very best chapter of the book to come in on, I think. Um, in some ways, I've been thinking about it a little bit like when I sit down on the weekend and watch the four-minute highlights package for every NRL game that doesn't get shown on free-to-air TV. Um, there's lots of things that I don't see when I watch the highlights package. I don't see the long arm wrestle as each team tries to get up and down the field. Um, I don't see the, the kind of every try that nearly got scored. I don't see the, the long kind of build up to every try that did get scored. Uh, obviously, if I want to see everything, I've got to sit down and watch the full 80 minutes. But, but if I just want to, the absolute essentials, then the four minute highlights package, that'll do just fine. That'll give me everything I need. And I think it's a little bit like that with Job chapter 28. Uh, if we had to pick just one chapter that would really sum up what this book is all about, I think this is probably the one we would have to pick. Uh, it doesn't tell us everything that happens in the book. In fact, in terms of the actual storyline of the book, the, the actual uh, kind of action of the book, it, it tells us basically nothing at all. So there's nothing here that is specifically about the man Job godly, upright, blameless man who feared God and who shunned evil. There's nothing about him. There's nothing about the severe suffering that he endured, uh, his bankruptcy, his bereavement, his own body kind of wasting away. There's nothing about that. Uh, there's nothing here about the depths of despair that he kind of fell into as he tried to understand how God was treating him in all this. There's nothing about his three friends who came down to comfort him. There's nothing about the, the rolling conversation, which kind of turned into an argument, really, between them, as his friends insisted that Job must have sinned and that God was simply punishing him in the way that the wicked deserve. These are the, the kind of elements of the actual storyline of Job. This is the things that make up the actual action of the book of Job. And, and there's nothing about these things directly here in Job 28. But what Job 28 does do is it explores with us and for us the underlying issue that drives that whole story of the book. Namely, the human search for wisdom and understanding. The search for wisdom and understanding about why our experience of life in this world is the way that it is. The search for wisdom and understanding about why God works in the world in the way that he does. The search for wisdom and understanding about what human life is all to be about. The search for wisdom and understanding about why suffering seems to be such an unavoidable part of the human experience. Um, this kind of wisdom and understanding, it goes much deeper than mere knowledge, doesn't it? I used to be a high school teacher, lots of you know. And, uh, you know, in just about every classroom around the school, um, 
knowledge was trying to be passed on. Trying to be passed on. Meant to be passed on. Uh, but this wisdom and understanding that Job 28 is talking about, that's something much deeper. It, it's not just knowledge. Uh, this is something much more fundamental to living life well, to living life wisely. And most of all, perhaps, when we suffer. Uh, you may not agree with me in this, but uh, in my experience of things, very few of us, when life is going really well, uh, very few of us kind of agonise over the questions of why things are the way that they are and what God is doing with us in it. But when trials come, when we suffer and we go through hardships, that really triggers our sense of not quite being in control of things in the way that we sometimes think that we are. That, that really triggers our sense of life being much more fragile than we normally admit. And so the question of why things are the way that they are and what God is doing in it all, that, well, in moments like that, those questions come very quickly to our lips and we just long to know why? We want wisdom, we crave understanding and that's what the book of Job is all about and it's what Job 28 is all about. So if you're following on the outline, uh, you can see a couple of headings. I think it starts with what I've called the, our human ability to find hidden treasures. Verse 1, and most of these passages will come up on the screen, there is a mine for silver and there is a place where gold is refined. Uh, iron is taken from the earth, copper is smelted from ore, mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. For far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft and in places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle in their mine shafts. It, it goes on like this all the way down to verse 11. It is talking about mining, isn't it? Why is it talking about mining? Well, in the first place, I guess, because in the ancient world, mining was just one of the most extraordinary and, and most technologically advanced activities that humans engaged in. I, I presume that's why kind of history books uh, still talk about things like the Stone Age and the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, because that's what mining was about. It was just that showed you where you were up to, and, and it was just this technological wonder. But more than that, though, I, I think the real reason it's talking about mining is because here is an activity where human beings are completely unique. Through exceedingly hard work, at times even painful, dangerous work, we humans have the ability to go into the darkness and to seek out treasures that are hidden in the ground. Uh, we are extraordinary treasure hunters, in other words. It's what we do. It's what we can do. And in this, we are far ahead of the animals. I mean, you take birds, for example. They fly at great altitude. They can see a lot further than we can. But there is no bird that sees the kind of things that we see when we go underground in search of gold. And I'm not just talking here about the one-legged seagull down at Balmoral or the kind of noisy Indian miner in your backyard. No, no, verse 7, even the, the mighty bird of prey, even the, the falcon has not seen the things that we humans see when we dig into the ground in search of gold. Verse 8, the, the powerful lion, well, he has never set his foot 
in a mine shaft in search of silver. We are just unique in this way. The human ability to find hidden treasures is nothing less than extraordinary. We do it literally in the case of mining, but we do it metaphorically as well, don't we, with just extraordinary intellectual discoveries. The, the, the structure of DNA, uh, the existence of subatomic particles. I don't even understand that sentence, but I know that we've discovered them. Vaccines that can prevent life-threatening diseases. And of course, if we really needed proof of it, just the amazing fact that currently we've got a couple of robots rolling around on another planet. It's remarkable, isn't it? We can do the most extraordinary things. We love to seek out and to find hidden treasure and we are very, very good at it. That's the point of verses 1 to 11. I think that only magnifies, though, what Job 28 says next, which is about a treasure that we cannot find. Do you see that shift that happens in verse 12? But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? It's such a contrast to verse 1, isn't it? In verse 1, there is a mine for silver. There's a, there's a place for, for gold to be refined. Uh, we, we know where these things happen. Um, if we were to go to the right shop, we could buy the right map and we could pinpoint their location exactly and we could all then get out our smartphones and we could walk to the spot. But there's no shop in the world that can sell us the map which will pinpoint the spot where wisdom is to be found and where understanding dwells. For one thing, such things aren't actually to be found in the world at all. Verse 13, no mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not here. But on top of all that, even if wisdom and understanding could be found, its value is so exceedingly high that, verse 15, it cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Just sounds beautiful, doesn't it, lapis lazuli? I have to look it up. It's a blue gemstone of some kind. I think sometimes it's translated as sapphires, but lapis lazuli sounds so much nicer. I don't know if you, you heard in the news this week that Amazon, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, not the rainforest. That Amazon has bought up the MGM movie studio for a lazy 8.45 billion US dollars, which is 10.9 in our money, if you're interested. Uh, for most of us, I'm imagining that is uh, just a kind of inconceivable amount of money. I think what Job 28 is saying is that you could put the combined value of 10 Amazons together and still you would not have enough money to purchase wisdom and understanding. They are just that valuable. So it can't be found in the land of the living, it can't be bought with gold, it can't be compared with any other object of value which we might put up as a fair exchange. And so the question of verse 12 returns in verse 20, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? And the simple answer is none of us knows and none of us can know for verse 21 it is hidden from the eyes of every living thing it is concealed even from the birds in the sky death and destruction 
no less. If you were to ask them about it, all they could say is, well, you know, we've heard a rumour. We've heard something about it. But I can't quite tell you where it is. Now, how, how are we going with all this? Um, perhaps at, at this point, you know, we, there's a part of us, maybe, that just wants to throw our hands up in despair and to dismiss the whole discussion as, as a great big distraction. How crazy is it to have a book like this, which charts this journey of, of a man and his three friends in their search for wisdom and understanding in the face of suffering? How crazy to have this chapter in that book, which affirms for us that the very question we're asking is the right question to ask. Where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? But then it turns around and insists that for us humans, wisdom and understanding are impossible, unattainable and completely out of reach. I mean, that just doesn't seem very satisfying, does it? Do you feel that frustration so far? Imagine rocking up to your local bookstore and uh, you go along to the self-help section that now exists in, in all of these bookstores and you find a book that says, you know, where wisdom and understanding can be found. A book title like that, that might kind of grab your attention. You might even consider purchasing it unless, of course, you stood there in the shop and you flicked through the pages and you realise that it only has three words in it, this book. Can't be done. You probably wouldn't buy that book, would you? See, what do we do with this message that we've seen so far from Job 28? Do we just give up in despair? Do we just accept that according to this chapter, we really can never be wise or have understanding? Do we just dismiss the whole thing as a waste of time? Well, friends, let's hold off on responding at least until we've heard the last two things that Job 28 teaches us because I think they completely change the message. See, verse 23 to 24, we find out that the impossibility of knowing where wisdom and understanding dwell, that is not absolute. We ourselves may not be able to know the answer, even death and destruction may not be able to tell us the way, but there is one who does know the answer to the question we've been asking. Where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? Verse 23, God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. The reason that God knows the answer to the question of where wisdom and understanding are to be found is because his view of things is completely unique. He doesn't just see as far as the mighty falcon. The ends of the earth are in his view shot. Whatever things exist under the heaven, he sees them. He knows them. He understands them. Why? What is it about God that means he sees the things that we cannot? What is it about God that means he perceives the things that we don't? What is it about God that means he can answer the questions that we are unable to answer? Well, it's what we get told about him in verses 25 to 27. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and he appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it. 
So in these verses, the, the speaker of Job 28 kind of looks way into the distant past, not just, you know, well before our time, but well before Job's time. Back to the very beginning, when God created the world and everything in it simply by the powerful word of his mouth. Because as he did that, he set up the very foundations, he set up the very parameters of the world in which we live. I mean, he is the one who said to the wind, this is how hard you should blow and no stronger. He's the one who said to the waves, this is how far you should go and no further. He's the one who said to the rain, this is how much you should fall and not a drop more. And he's the one who said to the thunderstorm, here is the path you need to take and no other. Now, of course, it's not just these four things that God established, that God did, that God set up. These things are simply representative of all God's sovereign control over this world in which we live because it is the world that he made. He alone is the creator. Everything else is created. And therefore, when it comes to wisdom and understanding about the way this world works, when it comes to wisdom and understanding about the way God works in this world, the wisdom and understanding which is impossible for us, no matter how hard we search for it, no matter how much we might pay for it. But God knows it. For it was back in the very beginning when God made the world that he looked at wisdom and he appraised it. He evaluated it, he confirmed it, he declared it, he established it, he tested it, and he searched it out. So where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? God alone knows. But still, Job 28 is not finished. There is one last thing that we must pay attention to. Uh, one last thing that this chapter will teach us, and it, again, it, it completely reshifts the focus of the chapter. Verse 28, great memory verse, Job 28, 28, we can remember that. And he, that is God, he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Uh, it almost sounds a bit contradictory, doesn't it? first 22 verses of the chapter we're told that wisdom and understanding are impossible for us to find no matter how hard we look or what we might pay and yet now we're told that there is a way for us to be wise and understanding after all now how do we resolve that apparent contradiction given what verses 23 to 27 have told us about God I think we have to say that the wisdom and understanding which is available to us in verse 28 is different to the wisdom and understanding that are unavailable to us in verses 1 to 22. One is the wisdom and understanding of the Creator. The other is the wisdom and understanding of the created. I, I don't know if you've heard the um, story of the doctor 
who told uh, a man that he had a couple of broken fingers, but don't worry, they'd fix him up. And the man asked whether he would be able to play the piano after the treatment was all done. And the doctor said, of course. And the man said, oh, that's wonderful, because I couldn't play it before. <laughs> I've been having some hand physio lately. I shared that joke with the hand physio. You imagine my surprise when she said, I've heard that joke before. <laughs> anyway, what can you do? Um, when it comes to wisdom and understanding, we mustn't ask the impossible. We, we mustn't expect that which by nature is completely beyond us. See, if it's true that there is a creator, that the fundamental reality of life and the world is that God made it all, and remember that this is exactly what we declared together as we baptised Ethan. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But if that is all true, then wisdom and understanding for us is to recognise that God is God. And that God alone is God. We who have been made by God, we wonderful but frail and finite creatures, we are capable of some truly remarkable things. Verses 1 to 11, we can dig into the ground and find hidden treasures. No other creature can do that, only us. But we can never have the Creator's wisdom and understanding about the way the world works. We can never have God's understanding of why things happen the way that they do. That belongs to him and to him alone. But we can have the wisdom and understanding that is appropriate for the creature, which is to be rightly oriented to the one who made us. To be rightly oriented to the one who dwells in the heavens above and sees the ends of the earth. And to know that God is God. And this is what it means to fear the Lord. It, it's not to run around before him in some kind of abject, abject terror, but simply to recognise and to live as if he is God. Again, these were the very things we prayed for on Ethan's behalf as we baptised him, the very things we ought to pray for all of us, all of the time. And to have this kind of wisdom and understanding, that's not just some poor man's consolation prize. In a world that is made and ruled by God, it is the very greatest treasure we can have, more valuable than gold. And we still won't have the answer to every question that we ever want to ask but the wisdom and understanding that God has assure us that things are not getting out of control. For him, there are no surprises and there are no unsolvable problems. He rules everything. And therefore, we can live with confidence and with trusting faith in him. And friends, this is as true in the context of suffering as it is 
in any area of life. In fact, we might even say it is true, especially in the context of suffering. Wisdom does not consist in knowing all the answers to the question why, but rather in knowing who it is who is running the world and who it is whose rule we gladly accept because we know that he is good. And as we consider all these things from our vantage point in history, from this side of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we need to recognise that when we are called to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to trust in the one who laid down his life for us in death on the cross, what we are being called to, and we heard this earlier on from 1 Corinthians, what we are being called to is the very highest wisdom that God has made available to us. For to trust in Christ and to follow him as Lord, to live gladly under his rule and to know how good God has been towards us through Jesus Christ, this is wisdom. This is to fear the Lord and to shun evil. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing chapter in the book of Job, and we thank you for the things it teaches us about the, what we humans can do, which is so remarkable, but also what we can't do. And so we pray that you would help us to know the things that you can do and the wisdom and understanding that you alone have, that we would learn to fear you, to shun evil, to trust Christ and to be wise. Amen.